Welcome to Friends and Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry are four longtime friends with more than 70 published books between them. Together, they host Friends and Fiction with author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing to highlight and support independent bookstores. They discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hello, everyone. It is Wednesday night, which means it's time for another episode of Friends and Fiction. What number is this, ladies? 149. 149. Ooh, next week's a big week, y'all. I know. Big week. So we are really looking forward tonight. So let's get started. I am Patty Callahan Henry. I'm Maggie Walker, sitting in for Kristen Harmel tonight. I'm Christy Woodson Harvey. And I'm Mary Kay Andrews. And this is Friends in Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors. Endless stories to support indie bookstores, authors, and librarians. Kristen is off tonight, so our managing director, cat herder, and guru, Meg Walker, (laughs) is filling in. And it's been so much fun. You've gotten to do it so much lately. It's been so much fun. So tonight, we will be talking with Kevin Wilson about his newest book, Now Is Not the Time to Panic, which seems like a perfectly apropos Title for this season, mm-hmm. tomorrow's December 1st. Now is not the time to panic. <laughs> and then to start our holiday season with cheer, Sheila Roberts will join us for the after show to talk about the road to Christmas. Oh, I love it. Yeah. And don't forget, as you know, we continue to encourage you to support independent booksellers when and where you can. And one way to do that is to visit our own Friends in Fiction bookshop.org page where you can find Kevin's and Sheila's books and books by the Fab Four and all of our guests at a discount. Now, we wanted to tell you about something really fun we have going on with our friends at Oxford Exchange. In the spirit of this season, they are offering our signature Friends in Fiction t-shirts, buy one, get one free. I love to say the word BOGO. BOGO. Do you like saying it as much as you like saying dropped? Yes, and charted. Okay, good. I like BOGO sales better than I like saying BOGO. I Yeah, I like BOGO. I like charted. Yes, all, and then the bad ones that I like. So um, when you buy, the bad ones. You tell me, the sassy granny, when you um, buy one for you and then one for a friend or an extra for laundry day, whatever you want, Make sure to email Christy pictures of you wearing your T-shirt. We'll pick two winners to receive a special Friends in Fiction reading package. Just use the code FFBOGO at checkout. Yep. And my email is Christy at ChristyWoodsonHarvey.com. It's very complicated. You can remember that. But so many of y'all have sent in your pictures and y'all are so cute. I cannot stand it. I don't know how we're possibly going to choose a winner, but I cannot wait to show a bunch of these photos on the show because they're going to be so, so cute. Okay. And also, have you been listening to our Writer's Block podcast on Fridays? If not, you are missing out on some of the most powerful conversations about writing, publishing, and story. We'll always post links under announcements each Friday when a new one drops. 
On the most recent episode, Ron and Patty talked to Raina Grande. Coming this Friday, Ron, Patty, and MKA will be talking to John Truby about his new book, The Anatomy of Genre. Super jealous. You might remember when John and his wife, Lisa Lear, joined us last year. So listen, review, subscribe, follow, download, tell a friend if you like what you hear. All right, ladies, let's get on to the fun for the night. Let's introduce Kevin. Kevin Wilson is the author. Wait, what's what's going on? Go on. Go on. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> Kevin Wilson is the author of two story collections and three novels, including The Family Fang and Nothing to See Here. Wait a minute. My, you know, I have to print out my script and uh, something happened. What happened here? Oh, his collection, Tumbling to the Center of the Earth. Stop laughing at me. Oh my God, we're at episode 149, Kathy. <laughs> I will tell you when to laugh at me. It is not time to laugh at me yet. Kevin's huh. collection, turn it, Tunneling to the Center of the Earth, received an Alex Award from the American Library Association and the Shirley Jackson Award. His novel, Nothing to See Here, was a New York Times bestseller and a Read with Jenna book club selection. And right before we came on, he casually dropped that he was on the Today Show recently. Yeah, yeah. We were like, yeah, when we're on the Today Show, we get it. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. Kevin's fiction has appeared in Plowshares, Southern Review, One Story, and more. Kevin has received fellowships from the McDowell Colony, Yaddo, and the KH Center, KHN Center for the Arts. He lives in Swanee, Tennessee with his wife, the poet Leanne Couch, and their sons. He's an associate professor in the English department at Swanee, the University of the South. Or like I like to call it, the Little Oxford. It looks Aww. just like Oxford. The tower in the middle of Swanee is the, a replica of Maudlin Tower, where C.S. Lewis taught. I've got to go. Y'all have really talked me into it. I got to check it out. It's an amazing place. It feels very sacred in Swanee. There's a certain, except if you're hiking alone. Anyway, his new novel, Now Is Not the Time to Panic, was just released earlier this month. As the Washington Post says, and I thought this was a perfect description, this is another tender, moving novel by an author who understands how truly bizarre ordinary life is. Sean, could you bring Kevin on? Hi, Hi. Kevin. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, We've been so psyched to talk about this book. We've been texting back and forth to each other about it. Mary Kay texted me the other morning and was like, I started last night. It goes down so easy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like (laughs) seven. Yeah, there you go. So when when she drinks bourbon instead of wine on the show, it just gets better and better. So so we're so thrilled to have you with us. Your books are posted on our Friends in Fiction page at a dizzying clip. So I'm going to break with tradition a little bit and ask you to start us off with reciting the line that sets the story in motion. Just recite it and then we'll dive in. Oh, sure. I just, again, want to say thanks for having me. And I've never been introduced by four people. I felt super special. That was awesome. Uh, Did he know but, you're going to ask him to recite the line? That's, that's oh, trust story. me. He knows it. Okay. Because <laughs> no, I was like, I would not be able to do that. Okay. Yeah. So so the line is, the edge is a shanty town filled with gold seekers. 
We are fugitives and the law is skinny with hunger for us. Woof. So now y'all out there with us, remember that line um, because we're going to come back to it. But before we do, Kevin, I want you to tell us two things for those who haven't read it yet or don't know about it. What the book in a nutshell is about. And then our favorite question, which is what do you think the book is really about? So the book starts um, with our main character, uh, Frankie Budge, uh, a woman who's got a husband, a kid, a successful life as a writer. And all of a sudden she gets a call from a reporter who tells her that um, she's reporting, uh, looking back at this event that happened in Frankie's hometown, this tiny little town in Tennessee, this huge panic that was created by a poster hung up in the small town and the reporter says, I think you did it. And this is a secret that Frankie has kept her entire life. And it forces her to think back about this one summer in 1996 where her and this boy that she meets that summer, Zeke, uh, felt less lonely around each other and decided to make a work of art uh, that kind of spiraled out of their control. And now Frankie, who's built this kind of wonderful life, realizes everyone's going to find out and I need to find Zeke who I have not seen since that summer to let him know what's about to happen. So it's about, you know, the, the, the life that we make and then how we look back into the past to say, what's that line that connects that person from so long ago to the person I am now. Mm. It's so beautiful. It's so good. Well, well, I think, um, you know, I'm in my 40s, so that's all I do is look back at the past <laughs> and try to figure out how I got here. What's your, how we got here and how much of ourselves remain, yeah. right? Like what's how much sign? Of, like when's your birthday? Like your astrological sign. Oh, God. We were just talking about that with the kids because they had no idea what any of this meant. I, I was born June 7th, so I'm a Gemini. You're Gemini. Okay. I don't know. I'm a cancer and that's one of the things that we're supposed to do. But so our birthday, I'm July. So I bet we're kind of close, but there were like we look at the past a lot. Oh, nice. That's right. so funny. That, okay. First time we've ever talked about our signs on the show. That might be fun to go around That's all, but shocking. yeah, I know. Circle back to that later. Okay. We'll circle back. Okay. So let's talk about the origins of this novel. Um, Kevin, the words that you just recited go back to the summer of your freshman year in college. Um, the origin story of this novel is one of the most powerfully personal ones that I've ever heard. You poured something of your soul into this book. So we know it's nearly impossible to say where stories come from, but can you tell us where the seed of the story was, um, plant, how the seed of the story was planted in that phrase and, and how that sets this book into motion? Yeah, I, I can. And so that line uh, goes back 25 years. Uh, and, and I've really and truly been saying that line in my head once, twice, three times a day for 25 years. It's just Christy, always that's why there. I knew he could yeah, say, <laughs> say it all the time. <laughs> it's just like a little mantra, like something to calm me. But it goes back to uh, when I was uh, the summer after my freshman year of college at Vanderbilt University. Uh, I come from a really tiny rural town, much like the one that Frankie lives in. And I felt incredibly out of place my freshman year. And that summer afterwards, I got an apartment with my cousin, and his best friend, Eric, and they were about four or five years older than me. 
And for that summer, Eric was living with us, but was going to move to L.A. He had gone to film school at NYU. He had finished his MFA at Alabama and theater. And he was just incredibly charismatic. Uh, He loved making little short movies and he encouraged me in my writing. But the the secondary story is I had a job uh, while I was at Vanderbilt uh, at the medical center. And my job was to type by hand in HTML, the policy and procedures manual. This was the early days of the internet. No one knew when I was at work. No one knew what I was doing. I was just sitting in a closet typing this 500-page manual. And very quickly, I got bored, and I just started making stuff up. And I wrote anything that I wanted in the policy and procedures manual. I love this so much. And because who reads the policy? Nobody noticed. No one noticed. Uh, I love no one subversive. I love subversiveness. And so I was telling Eric, I said, I'm doing this. I'm writing these kind of weird, silly lines. I said, do you have anything? And he thought and he said, yeah, I have one. It's the edge is a shantytown filled with gold seekers. We are fugitives and the law is skinny with hunger for us. And I put that in the policy and procedures <laughs> manual. Uh, and for whatever reason, I think it's partly because I was so invested in Eric as a person, but also the rhythm of the line just burned itself into my brain. And was it original to him, Kevin? Yeah, yeah, he made it up. Um, and so I wrote it and then it stuck in my head and... Eric went to LA and I would go see him, but we stayed in touch, but we would always fall in and out of touch. And so I had this in my head for so long. I think y'all know what that's like, right? You have something. And so you're like, I'll write it out. You know, I'll figure a way to get it out of my head and onto the page. So I started writing this novel and I was doing an interview for NPR when my last novel came out. And I said, I'm writing about this line that my friend Eric gave me. And that put Eric back into my orbit. And I thought, I'll finish this novel and we'll become friends again. You know, we'll be right back the way that it was that summer. Mm -hmm. And I was writing the book. I was almost done. And then I got the news from my cousin Brian uh, that Eric had died unexpectedly, uh, without warning, uh, was just dead. And it was um, unbelievably difficult. But in some ways, right, with writing, I was like, I don't have Eric anymore, but I have this line and I have this book. And if I can just get to the end of the book, maybe something can happen. And so I finished it. And now it's out in the world. And I've heard people say that line back to me. And every time I hear it or I see it on, uh, you know, like posted on the Internet, uh, there's this piece of Eric, right, that's like that's still around that reminds me. And I think he would have been uh, so delighted by that, you know, of appearing in all these weird places. So, yeah, that's how the story came about. I tried my best. What an amazing story. It's kind of incredible it didn't show up in your writing sooner right it, it actually did i put it in the in the family fang my first novel just it's, just, it did. Yeah. it's a tossed off line and i thought oh, i'm done with it eric saw it he was happy and i just thought oh i'm not done with it i'm gonna it was still in my head so i said i'm well, gonna i'm gonna do it again and it's in the policies and procedures manual well it just like they put a brand new like they they changed it and made it look up to date but my cousin after i did a reading for this book he went on the wayback machine online and found it from 2004 oh, no. it was still up uh, and that made me so happy 
that I hadn't oh, imagined. I love it. That. it had <laughs> been amazing. there for for ten years, and no one noticed. Wow, that's really freaked the policies in person. <laughs> There's a whole South Park episode about the um, Apple user agreement. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I worked in a hospital. I did read the policies in person. No. Um, all right. So for me, the, the I feel like the one emotion at the center of this novel is longing. And I feel like that's kind of just what you were talking about with your friend, Eric. Um, but even as Frankie still hangs up posters in her adulthood, there's this longing for an innocent and creative past, for, for connection, to feel like you're leaving a mark. Um, so can you talk about that a little bit? And like, why is this feeling of longing so evocative for us as readers and, and as humans? Well, I just, I mean, for me, it's that I, I, I think I have a really good life. I, I somehow I found my way to a life that is good for me with, with people that love me. Um, but I still can't help but look backwards. And now, you know, I have kids. My, my, my kids are 14 and 10. And so now there's the weirdness and we, they, they live in the same town where I grew up. So when we go to the movie theater, it's, it's, it's my movie theater as a kid, but I'm seeing them. And I'm watching them grow up in front of me. And it's hard not to look back at, oh, what was I like at that age? What was happening in, in that moment? And how did I ever get to how where I am now? You know, yeah. and so it, and people, I think they they say they're like, oh, you know, I don't remember the past all that well. But I promise you that if you just sit and try to remember, like, what kind of shoes were I, was I wearing when I was 10? What was the wallpaper in my room? If you just sit and let yourself kind of go back to that moment, it's crazy how much you can remember. Uh, yeah. And I love living in that world for a brief moment before I come back to the world that's waiting for me. Oh, that's awesome. Gosh, I feel like this whole episode is like highly quotable here. Like, waiting yeah. <laughs> for me. Like, that's, that's amazing. That's so true, though. I was, um, and I think for me, it's sometimes I like, it's not that I'm sitting there trying to remember, but something will pop up or someone will say something and I'll just be like thrust into this whole like part of my childhood that I didn't even remember that I remembered or like, you know, oh my gosh, we used to, you know, do this or wear this or this smelled like that or whatever it is. A song, a song does yeah. it for me, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. well, like today, Christy McVie from, from, oh, uh, oh my God. Oh, yeah. and, and all of a sudden I was thinking about the millions of times I just played that. Fleetwood Mac album, right? So something takes you back and you remember what you think you don't remember. Yeah. Sense, yeah. sense memories. Yeah. yeah. Sense memories. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So Kevin, I'm going to preface this by saying, forgive me if this is just like trying to get extra credit in English class question. And you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. And this is not true. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully this question's not totally off the face. Oh, it's a great setup, Christy. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> I think that I see a connection between you and Salinger. Um, so Frankie and Zeke, which immediately made me think of Salinger's Franny and Zoe. And then you have this town, Caulfield, and the name Caulfield, for those of you out there, oh. Holden Caulfield, and from another Salinger book. So both of these books are about teenagers finding their place in this crazy world. So is there a connection or is this me trying to raise my hand on the front row? 
No, that's brilliant. Uh, I didn't intend it, but now I'm going to pretend that I did. Uh, <laughs> that's great. I, I so, no, I, I mean, Franny and Zoe and Catcher in the Rye were, were huge books for me. And, and Salinger was such a, a great writer. And it's so interesting that you mentioned that because I had not read Catcher in the Rye since college. And my son, who's now 14, every night, my boys and I, we uh, we switch off with my wife, but I read to my 14-year-old, and then the next night I read to my 10-year-old. And my son and I are reading Catcher in the Rye. I was like, let's try oh, wow. it. And we started reading it, and it. I, I know there's people that don't like it or think it's overrated, but the moment I, I, I read it out loud, I thought, oh, my God, this brings me back. But also my son, every, like, five pages, he would stop me. He's like, when was this written? And I was like the fifties and he's like, that just doesn't seem possible. You know, it's just feels so of this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that. And the, and I think a lot of people think Caulfield, they're like, he's kind of a jerk. And I'm like, he's a kid, you he's know, he's, he's like this lovely kid who's trying so hard to not show how hurt he is. And that feels like Frankie and Zeke to me, you know, yeah. children who are trying so hard to find their, find way, their way into their future. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so in your novel, Frankie and Zeke are referred to as oddballs and misfits, but they're kind of all of us. And as they find each other that summer, their lives are completely altered when they say, let's make some art, as you discussed. And that was it. Just let's make some art. And I guess it could be called a love story, but it's so much more than that. So can you talk about their relationship a little bit? Yeah. So, I mean, I think I think it is a love story. I think it's about two people who see each other in ways that other people don't see them, right? And so for the for that brief moment, you realize that there's another person who 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 recognize you in the ways that you would hope. You know, and that feels like love to me. But I also just wanted, you know, there are so many books, coming of age books about teenagers and love and romance and and I totally get all of that, but also uh sometimes teenagers are weird prudes and still like trying to figure out how to, how to straddle the line between a childhood and adulthood. Right. And so I think Frankie and Zeke are these weird kids who are like, I know there are desires that I should have, but I also just kind of want to eat pop tarts and draw pictures. And how do I like (laughs) make these two things work in the world that I live in? And so little by little, because they're both weird they can kind of find their way towards something. But I loved what you said, Christy, like that idea, you know, that so many people are oddballs that the more and more I talk, like every single person at some point in their life has felt like they were on the outside of the world that they wanted to be in. I just don't, I think that's a universal moment, no matter what your background is or what you have, there's always been that moment you were like, I wish someone recognized who I was, you know, could see me. I, I love I love the description of Frankie's first kiss. Oh. <laughs> All right, Kevin, were you mining your first kiss when you wrote that? No, I was about to say I'm I'm I'm, I'm glad that you called it a kiss. I don't know what the <laughs> hell that was. Uh, <laughs> I mean, she like, where do you put your nose? Like, yeah. And the taste of celery. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. They they it's just one of those things where it's like I think everyone. You watch so many movies and you think this is how romance works. And it's so much more awkward than that, right? It's never quite how you imagine it. And that makes it better, really and truly. It's true. Yeah, I I think so too. Okay, so now, Kevin, you're a professor at Swanee. 
how I'm wondering how does teaching affect your writing? You know, I have an editor and a not really a professor, it's an inner critic slash bitch that sits on my shoulder. And mostly I have to shut them up to find the story. How, I mean, as a professor, how do you deal with those two brains? Well, I mean, I'll say one thing is like writing for me is like such a private thing. You know, it's for me and me alone. And then there's the weirdness of where I'm like, oh, I guess I'll let other people read this and put it out in the world. But what I love so much about about writing is that it's it's mine, you know, and no one, no matter what happens after, no one can take away the pleasure that I got from making that. Uh, but but teaching and talking about writing is that moment where you take those secret obsessions and you make them public and you realize that other people care about this stuff, too. And for me, when I'm teaching, I'm trying not to focus so much on like, here's how you write the best line or here's like how you edit this down. It's more about just saying like this stuff's important. And if you care about it we can talk about it and we can work our way towards a story that makes sense to you so that you know what your voice sounds like. So to teach is great because it forces me to stay on my toes. The students are very young. And each time they ask a question, like, why do you do this? I can't just pretend like, oh, I don't know. I just do it because it feels right. I have to be the professor. So it forces me to think more deeply than I might otherwise about my work. Okay. Now I have to ask, because you're a professor, is there a contemporary novel or writer that you love to turn your students onto? Maybe that they haven't they have haven't read before, or nobody's talked to them about. Oh man, I mean, these kids read so much, and they're so wonderful. But right, they didn't get into Swanee because they're dumb. <laughs> yeah, but they, but I think um, the two writers that I just kind of always give them, and I feel like it always opens them up, are Ann Patchett uh, and Jennifer Egan. And Jennifer Egan oh. wrote A Visit from the Goon Squad, and that's kind of my big book that I teach to the students. And it's a book about characters at a certain point in their life where they feel lost. They're adults, but nothing turned out quite the way they had hoped. And I always think, oh, these 20 year olds are not gonna like this, but they instantly are like, what would that feel like to have worked so hard and gotten to this point where you're not satisfied? And the book is so beautiful in that it says, I feel like things are ending. One of the characters says, and her brother says, they are, you know, life ends, things end, but not yet. And that's the moment that the students just so perk up so much, right? That in that little amount of time you think you have left, you can still do everything that you wanted to do. You can remake yourself. And I think that's kind of universal no matter what age you are. Okay, now I wasn't supposed to ask this question, but this is the bourbon talking. <laughs> I was gonna say, I don't know where this is going. I was thinking about this. I was thinking, I know. I was thinking about this when we were doing the script and I thought, I would love to ask if you could strike a book from your from any English curricula. Oh God, <laughs> I'm gonna get. Uh, I'm. Uh, it's controversial. College. You don't have to answer it, Kevin. But I, I, I can remember when my kids were in high school and they were. Mine was always. Oh my God, why do we still have to teach the Scarlet Letter? And that's first. Pers- that's personal. And I just wonder if you have one that you would go, yeah, no, we don't need that anymore. I don't think there's, I, I think for me, it's not like 
we we teach Shakespeare a lot at Swanee and yeah. I, I'm not going to be like Shakespeare's not good. He is great. Yeah. <laughs> but I also what I want the students to know is that the reason maybe that Shakespeare is important is not just the work that he made, but the way it echoes into the present. Yeah. And so one of the things like if, if I'm going to teach Shakespeare, I, honestly, like that's great and that's all fine and good. But like, what if I also teach them Gene Ray's uh, Julian Romeo, you know, and I'm like, yeah. here's this new inventive way that we can pull those themes into the present. Mm -hmm. And for me, in some ways, I want them to know that like writing is not this thing from the past, like in a museum that we study, it's actively changing and evolving right in front of us. And so the newer the yeah. book, the better the odds are that we can find something hidden in it. Yeah, I think I think when you when you can tell young people when you can explain relevance to them, it's so much more powerful. I can remember being in junior high and we studied um, Romeo and Juliet and our, we had a great English teacher. And then they took us to see West Side Story. Ah, uh, yes. And it was like, oh, OK. I, th I think the worst thing you can do in teaching literature is is to treat it as a thing that's frozen in time, right? Yeah. And you want to study it's it in life. the context, but then you've you've got to pull it forward of why does it matter now, and that's what the kids you know respond to. I I, I totally agree with you. <laughs> wow, it makes me think a lot about the way you read a book in 10th grade. And then when you read it as an adult, it's a living thing, right? It's a totally different. And that was not a scary question, Kathy. You Mary Kay, you had me like, <laughs> I was sorry, so great. Going Where is she going? I thought that was awesome. Well, but, I think he, the way he sidestepped that was genius. Yeah. That, yeah. That was like, you can tell he's on the Today Show a lot. Yeah, there. We're gonna, go. we're gonna, we're gonna like nail him and make him tell us later on if there is one book he would strike from the curricula. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Okay. All right. I want to talk a little bit about the art because the poster is so important. I, I looked all over online to try and find the poster. Did anybody ever make it? Or do you uh, have a, a iteration of it? Or I have it in my head. And then that's been a little weird is that I've had a few people send me their version of the poster. And it's not and, the one you have in your head. No, I think it's um, it's weird. I'm like, oh, I think the picture I have in my head is so much less detailed. You know, it's kind oh, of I wavy. And so when I see it in reality, I'm like, oh, yeah, this would scare me a little. This is <laughs> yeah. yeah. The hands. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So... Art is a catalyst, obviously, in this book. But even in the family fang, there is a question about art and what it is at the center of the story. Is it a joke? Is it is it art? Is it profound? Is it a prank? So here we are again. Art is at the center. Frank and Frankie and Zeke's poster is a catalyst for what goes down that summer, for what their life becomes, for the secret they keep. I want you to talk to us about that, about why you chose in both of those books to have art be such a catalyst, because on the face of it, it was just, you know, a poster with some words, exactly. but it was so much more. Yeah. I, I mean, I think growing up in a tiny rural town and not having access to a lot, art was just the window into the larger world more than anything mm -hmm. else. 
art was this way for me to say like, oh God, here are the possibilities beyond what I have right now. Books, movies, music, they opened me up and made me less afraid of the world. Um, okay. And so I'm just fascinated by that. But then, you know, as you get older and, and maybe you start making art, one of the things that's really strange is what happens when you make this intensely personal thing and you release it upon the world? You, you send yeah. it out uh, like a signal from a radio tower. And what happens when it's received and what happens if, if it comes back to you? And I just always think about that. Like, what's our responsibility when we make something? And and it's, you know, not just art, like the children that we have, the people in our lives who we take care of. Like, what is our responsibility to all of these things that we put out into the world? And art for me is just an easy way to talk about it. Well, not only our responsibility, but are we responsible for the way someone reacts to it? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Is there, you know, the the panic that it caused or the I won't give anything away, but the first time somebody used the poster as an excuse. Right. You're like, oh, man, you can take anything and make it the thing you want it to be. And I know that happened in the family thing, too. So obviously it's something that bubbles up out of out of your own curiosity. Yeah, just that you have these things. And then when you hear somebody else respond to them in a way beyond what you had anticipated, it can be scary, but it's valid. You know, I tell my students, too, I'm like, you can write anything you want, but you can't be mad if somebody else gets upset yes. about it. You That's that's their response. And you have to live with that. Uh, you can't predict how this thing that you send out is going to come back. And that's scary, we- but but necessary. And freeing in some ways, yeah, right? It is, yeah. Mary Kay and I talked to a, a teacher the other day, and he said, you can't sit down next to your reader and explain to them what you meant. Mm-hmm. Like, this is Ooh. really what I meant, right? <laughs> so you have, to ha- you have to put it out there in whatever art form you have, and it means what it means. I them. would die if I had to sit next to the reader uh, while I read it. <laughs> <laughs> This reminds me kind of, I remember, and I'm not even going to be able to tell you who like the celebrities involved were, but there was like a, like a really famous rock star. Like it was like Bruce Springsteen or someone. And he was on like a, he was on a talk show and the talk show host was saying to him, you know, about this younger sort of rock star, like, well, she has this responsibility to be a role model for these younger people. And she's going off the rails and blah, blah, blah. And Bruce, or I'm saying it's Bruce Springsteen. I'm giving him the credit. I don't remember who it was, but this, you know, older musician was like, actually she doesn't. Her responsibility is to make art and put it into the world. Her responsibility is not how people receive it or what they do with it or, you know, whether preteen girls are listening to, like, that's not her responsibility. Her responsibility is the art that she's creating. And I was like, wow, what an interesting kind of like light bulb moment. Um, You know, because I do think that sometimes, you know, sometimes someone will write something like, oh, well, you know, you should have written this or this was a bad example or, but our characters aren't example. They aren't here necessarily to be like teaching you how to do the right thing in the world. Like they're just supposed to be stories that you're telling. And everything that you send out into the world and they're like, this is not being a good role model. There is somebody out there that says, this is exactly what I needed to this get me exactly through. This is exactly what I needed. So exactly right. I, I can't understand that. Yeah. 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 Well, speaking of how it's received, there's a, there's a few people in the live chat on Facebook and YouTube asking about the age, the intended age range for your readership. So 
Kevin, how, to me, as I was reading, um, it strikes me as a real crossover book, like an adult book, but with real true YA potential. So how do you, I mean, how do you think of it? I mean, that's the thing too, is you can't control that, right? Like once I send it out, I'm just want anybody to read it. But to my mind, and especially because with my boys, I've been reading so much contemporary YA and oh my God, it's incredible. It's like, if I had had these books when I was that age, I I just, I don't know what I would have done. So I'll happily, you know, uh, try to cross over to any teenager that would that would find something in this. But to my mind, it's YA, it's about these teenagers, but the thing that makes it slightly more adult is that it's an adult version of Frankie yes. looking back into that moment yes. and how she processes it. So I, I think that's the thing that bridges the gap between those. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking that too. Like, it it feels like Rainbow Rowell or John Green, but not, but, but with those books, you don't get that adult perspective, the looking back and the... God, I'll take I'll take any fans of those two writers. Well, I was thinking even Kwame, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Kwame Alexander. Um, yeah. Well, I feel like this has been one big writing tip, but um, I'm still going to ask you, what is one of your favorite pieces of writing advice that you give to your students? Or I know you teach at the Swanee Writers Conference, so you also teach adults. If you had to kind of give a nugget, what would it be? This is such an easy thing, I think, but it can be hard is that what I tell my students always is to write down and to keep it forever, a list of the, your obsessions or what you love in other works of art and to just always write it down, you know, like weird children, babysitting, rural landscape, strange family dynamics. And you just write down what draws you to art. And, and, you know, by the end of your life, that thing should scroll all the way to the ocean. And then, you know, this is what I love. So why don't I write this? And then what gets fun is if you write down all your obsessions, what happens if you blend them? So my last novel, I'll be really quick. Nothing to see here was about a woman who took care of children who burst into flames. And I have obsessions (laughs) with spontaneous human combustion. I am obsessed (laughs) obsessed with babysitting because of the babysitters club and i'm obsessed that's christy she's obsessed and i love a whole separate show about that kevin and i love weird children so i was like what happens if i blend those three things together and then i have my book right i take all these seemingly disparate obsessions and if i can kind of put them together i get a new story and so i would tell everybody just always in a notebook every little thing that moves you, that obsesses you to just keep that list so you can look to it. Just write that. You down. know, that is so weird. I got really stuck recently and I was, I thought I wanted to abandon it. And I said, I wrote in my morning pages, which very artist way, Patty, what are the things you are obsessed with? And I just started making this list like mythology families. Like mm-hmm. I, I just started making this list and then things started to bubble back up. So dang, that's awesome. That's a good one. <laughs> All right, Kevin, we have a couple announcements. Can you stick around for one more minute? Cause we have one more question for you. Okay, great. Meg. Where are we? Oh, yes. <laughs> we have big like so involved. We forgot there was a script. And I know. I was oh, like, come no. on, come on. We have to, we have to wrap this well, up and I don't I'm want to. Occupied by people. Sean said there's people who, who started late and want to know what the poster was. And I said, I feel like saying that's the whole book. Go buy the book. Go buy the <laughs> yeah, book. The whole book is about this. Poster. On our bookshop.org yeah. page, and you'll know. 
uh, what the poster is. Um, okay, so meanwhile, we have big news about our host author's releases next year. All four of them have 2023 novels and will be doing at least five Friends in Fiction live events. So keep your eye out. We will be in Columbus, Ohio on April 26th. The Friends in Fiction live launch event for Patty's The Secret Book of Flora Lea is set for May 1st in Charleston. It will be a big Friends in Fiction party with the full Charleston experience and you won't want to miss it. Put it on your calendar now and you can even start buying tickets right now as that ticketing link is already live on the Buxton Books website. And we'll have three more live events after that. One in June for Kristen's launch, one in July for Christie's launch, and another in the fall for Mary Kay's 2023 Christmas book. Um, I think we'll have news about that Christmas book in, on our season finale. Um, oh, I hope so. Yeah, hope so. so more info to come on all of these events, so stay tuned for details and make sure you mark your calendars and get your tickets, everybody. That's right. So our new Friends in Fiction first edition subscription is available now from indie bookstore Booktown in Manasquan, New Jersey, and features signed hardback first editions from each of us um, in 2023 and a Friends in Fiction kitchen towel that says dinner can wait. It's time for Friends in Fiction. So you can order them right now at booktown.com. That's booktown with an E at the end. And this is new. Anyone who orders the box by December 15th, including those who have already or have already ordered, will be shipped a free exclusive Friends in Fiction Christmas ornament and holiday card. It's the perfect way to gift the box to someone you love or to yourself. All right. We're almost back to you. So don't you move, Kevin. So of course, you don't want to forget about the Zibby Award winning Friends in Fiction official book club with Lisa Harrison and Brenda Gardner. Um, a separate Facebook page, and they have regular happy hours with our Writer's Block podcast host, Ron Block, and they keep you in the loop. And on December 8th at 7.30 p.m., there will be a happy hour with Ron Block and special guest, Mary Kay Andrews, who suddenly disappeared. <laughs> so her electricity went out, by the way, y'all. So I can't wait for you to jump in and see them. And next monthly book club discussion is on December 19th. And they are talking about this holiday novella I've heard about called The Perfect Love Song by Patty Callahan Henry. So <laughs> see you on the 19th at 7 p.m. Uh, so we have one more thing to talk with Kevin about, but don't forget that we are hanging around tonight for an after show to kick off the holiday season by talking to Sheila Roberts about her new book, The Road to Christmas. Kevin, I almost asked this in the middle of the show, but it's something we always ask right at the end. But because you were talking about the things you're obsessed with and, and family and kids, one thing we always ask is what are the values or were the values around reading and writing in your family when you were growing up? Hopefully it was a much different family than the family <laughs> fang. Just hopefully. <laughs> Again, I think for me, it was um, that my parents, um, even in the small rural town where I felt like, oh, I, I have access to nothing. My parents were like, there's a library. And in that library, you may have to dig, but you'll find something. And actually that became the oh, kind of treasure hunt, that. right? Like it was the treasure hunt to, I didn't know what I was looking for. My parents would sit with me in the library while I walked up and down the aisles, sometimes getting books that were way inappropriate for me. But my parents didn't stop me. They were just like, everything in this library, you can find something that will make you feel connected to the world. And so they, no matter what, they wanted me to read. 
That's awesome. God, I love <laughs> that. I hope I was that kind of parent. Kevin, thank you so much for spending time with us. I feel like there's so much more I want to ask you. So hopefully nobody will give me your email. I want to go um, to class. Can you like live? No, I want to go take your class. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make an exception for y'all. Sure. Thank you. Oh, yeah, thank yeah. You. This was so um, great. Can you, before we leave, can you real quick tell people where they can find you in both real and digital? I think you're off tour. So where could they find you in digital life? Do you have a I, website? I, I am only on Instagram, which I'm, I, I was scared to try and I really love it. And I'm at Kevin Wilson author at, on Instagram. I'm following you right now. All right. I already do. I, you're good. You're, you're, you're so much fun to follow. All right. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Have a good evening. And we're so happy you joined us. Thank oh, you. I loved it. Thank you. Awesome. That was so great. Okay, everyone else out there, see you in a minute in the after show. But don't forget that you can find all of our back episodes on YouTube. We live there every week, just like on Facebook. And if you subscribe on YouTube and click the little bell, you will be notified whenever there is a new episode. And next week, we are so excited to have Louise Penny with A World of Curiosities. And on the after show, we'll be talking to Ray Meadows about Winterland, which has one of the best covers. It's seen in a long time. Yeah. So we'll see you in about 30 seconds with Sheila Roberts. So go get your Christmas cheer. Welcome back, everyone. Oh my gosh. How interesting was he? He was great. God, he just him. has this creative mind that is. I know. Like, I love I just wanted, We can yeah. talk to him forever. I just want to tap into that. Children who spontaneously combust. I know. Like I would think of that and I'd be like, no, Patty, you shouldn't do that. You definitely <laughs> shouldn't do that. Um, well, I that hope everyone has it out. We read, from, we read that from my book club. It's great. Um, Did you really? Yeah. Nothing to see here. That's the one, right? Nothing but, to see. Yeah. Here. Yeah. And this one's fantastic. He's such a fresh, unique voice. Yeah. And so creative. Okay. I know we have to explain why we're down to Patty and Meg. So yeah. Mary Kay's internet is fading in and out. And of course, Kristen wasn't here and Christy had her best friend's party, but we are dying to talk to Sheila. So I hope everyone has out their Christmas cheer because tomorrow is December 1st. And tonight we're going to talk to Sheila Roberts. Can y'all hear me at all? We can. Yeah, we can hear you. Good. Okay, good. Okay. I don't know what's going on with my camera, but I can, um, <laughs> I'll just, um, could you introduce to Sheila from behind the black facade there? Yes. Hi, Sheila. Hang on. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm discombobulated. So um, I can crazy. Pick it up. Yeah, go ahead, Meg. Go ahead. Sheila is the author of nearly 50 novels, including On Strike for Christmas, which was a Lifetime Network movie, and The Nine Lives of Christmas, which was a Hallmark movie. She has sold a meager 3 million copies of her books. <laughs> meager, yeah. Before becoming an author, and I love this, Sheila owned a singing telegram company and played in a band. She's a cancer survivor, and she lives in Washington State with her husband, who is also an author. Okay, if you can hear me, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So as Susan Wiggs says, Christmas wouldn't be Christmas without a Sheila Roberts story. So let's welcome Sheila. 
Hi, Sheila. Hi. What's so nice to see oh you. Oh my gosh, look at that Christmas tree all up and lit behind yes, you. Yes. That's amazing. I am so ready and I am so excited to be with you guys. I was telling them earlier, I feel like the little kid on Christmas morning and I've just been waiting. Oh my gosh, what a great show this has been. I've really been enjoying sitting backstage listening to it. So it's very I awesome. have, Isn't he so fat? We should have brought you on to ask a question. Yeah. I bet you were thinking of one in the back of your head. I love this book. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Well, Sheila, as the title hints, this is in some ways a road trip novel set in the snowy mountains of Washington State. But I'd love if you started off telling us what the book is about. And then our favorite, what do you think the book is really about? Oh, I love that. Um, it's actually, it is a road trip story. And we're following three different branches of the family as they all go together at little sister's house. She has her first new house, new baby, and she wants everybody to come see her in Idaho. Nobody lives in Idaho, but they're all going to do this. And of course, everyone has issues because, well, what's a book without issues, right? So <laughs> we have got our, uh, our parents who are, are talking about the big D here. We've got the grandparents and they've got some health issues and we've got the sisters who are a little bit of the comic relief there and um, some sibling rivalry and sibling squabbling going on along the road but also some romance that is blooming so uh, I really like the idea that we kind of had some different storylines all converging all these different stories but one big happy Christmas at the end and it's interesting to ask what the book is really about because with all these three different storylines, it seemed like there was an issue with each one of them. But the one that was most important to me is talking about the issue of forgiveness, because mm. sometimes it is so hard to forgive people. We tend to hold grudges. And I mean, I know I was an expert hold grudger, you know, give me the gold in the Olympics and grudge holding. And <laughs> Really not a not a, a good thing to do in the end for a relationship. And I remember once reading, or read it or heard it, but the saying that um, not forgiving someone is like expecting that person, uh, uh, you swallowing poison and expecting that person to die. And that's kind of, yeah. it, you know, sometimes boomerangs back on you. So it's all about learning forgiveness and moving into the holidays with uh, a good Christmas spirit. Yeah. Love that. I'm always curious how um, how you you know thinking about those three on their way, like how you come up with each problem because each of them have it, they're not even echoing each other. Each of them are setting off with their own issues in hand, and then they converge at Christmas. Which obviously you love Christmas books because you have written. I tried to count. I think at least twelve. How many? I think I'm up to. I think I'm up to 20. I think the first oh one. Oh my was, good lord! Yeah. I couldn't find some. On Sprite came out in 2010, so uh, something like that. Anyway, so somewhere around in there. So you know, Christmas book every year, follow law. And I just I love Christmas. It's my favorite holiday. It really is. And just everything about it, I just think is fabulous. So tell okay. So you love it, but I want you to talk to us a little bit about why you love writing them. And why you think Christmas novels matter? Because they do. Why are we so drawn to them? Like, what is it in these? Mary Kay has written one. Like, what what is it about these that that draws us in these Christmas novels? Yes, and I loved that Mary Kay book. By the way, that was a really fun read. I think Christmas. There's so much this wrapped up in Christmas. Christmas that affects us. It's 
such a holiday with such joy, the message of joy behind it. And when we think of Christmas, we think of that and we think of uh, family gatherings. We think of carols and I mean, everything that is the best you can think of almost gets rolled up into Christmas like one big present. And I think that's why that appeals to people because as we know in real life, sometimes Christmas isn't always perfect. We might be having that's what I was just gonna say. Yeah. or financial problems or we're dealing with a death in the family and <laughs> get drawn to these books because here's where I know it's going to be happy. I'm going to have a smile. I'm going to get a smile for Christmas if I read this Christmas book. And I think that's what those of us who write them want to deliver to people. We want to give them a sense of hope and joy in the season, even if maybe right now in their own life, they're not really getting a lot of joy. It's a little bit of a taste of joy. You know, I was driving today, running errands. And it was one of those days where I was 10 minutes behind everything, the dog at the vet, whatever it might be. Like I just couldn't, and I put on the country music Christmas station Mm. and started listening. Meg doesn't love country music like I do. And I started listening to it. And all of a sudden, like there's just even the music, the talking about it, there's a, a lift of the spirit right? Like yeah. there's a, so I think Christmas novels do the same thing. I think um, so too. I really do. I think they serve a very important purpose. Yeah, okay, Sheila, great. I'm the voice obviously from beyond because I, my camera. <laughs> of Christmas future. <laughs> makes this question. I don't know. I'm on a small barrier island off the coast. I don't know what's going on. Okay, so in this novel, we have three sets of travelers. Am I mistaken or do I see some kind of parallel or echoes to the three wise men all traveling to wake their, make their way home? Or did we just make that up? No, there's no wisdom there. And they're not going to see Jesus. So probably not. But <laughs> but it's kind of an interesting analogy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway. But yeah, you know, sometimes, you know, they talk about the parity of threes. And so often we have threes in some form or other in our book. Yeah. Three just seemed like the right number. And plus I had three different issues I wanted to deal with. So, and don't you think sometimes as writers, we tend to work out some of our issues in our books. It's kind of a good way to do a little bit of therapy. So um, maybe that's another good thing about Christmas books, cheap therapy. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's hashtag. Good. Let's use that hashtag under all the Christmas books. Cheap therapy. <laughs> there you go. Well, all of us love holiday stories. So I'm curious, what is your favorite book to give at Christmas for a gift? Oh, wow. Well, I do like giving Christmas books. And frankly, if I was going to give the Christmas book of all Christmas books, and all my friends write fabulous books, so that's a very hard thing to choose from if you're going to give gifts that your friends have written. But I really do believe Dickens' A Christmas Carol is the best Christmas story ever, ever written. It's just so brilliant. And I, I love that story. And so if I'm going to choose a book, a Christmas book for Christmas, it's probably going to be Mr. Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Awesome. I, 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 when I was thinking about that question, I don't even have an, an answer to that. Like you start to rattle through, but a classic is always a really good answer. A classic. 
Um, so you have another, you've had a couple movies, but you have another one coming out, right? Candy Cane Lane? Or it's going to be on the Great American Family Channel this Saturday. So I'm excited Ooh. about that. We're going to got the family getting together. We're going to have a watch party. In the past, when we would do a movie, we were able to get a little DVD ahead of time. And so when we did Nine Lives, we had a red carpet party of our own. And if took over, um, uh, in, we lived in a condo at the time and took over the big party room there. And we all went to Goodwill and got our evening gowns. And it was a way fun. We had some red cloth we could walk down. So we had a good time. But this time we're going to be all gathered in the living room, eating our peppermint popcorn and watching Christmas on Candy Cane Lane. So that will be a fun adventure. What is that like to see your, your books show up like that? Tell me what that's like it's to see it on screen. Fun. It's so it's really exciting. And two out of three, we've been able to visit the set for the nine lives. We got to have a little cameo appearance and be in the background. And that was a great adventure. And my funny story I love to tell about that. You know, as you know, when actors are in the background, they're not really talking. They're just sort of moving their mouths. And you feel really stupid just sitting there with your mouth flapping. And so my husband and I started kind of whispering back and forth and saying cheeky things. And finally, the guy with the boom mic came up and said, would you guys be quiet? We can hear everything you're saying. It was like, oh, I guess we don't really have a line in this movie, do we? So we should be quiet. <laughs> uh, so it's very fun to get to go watch this being made, watch these things happen. And with the set of uh, Christmas on Candy Cane Lane, uh, that was just a, just the actors themselves. So we were behind the scenes watching everything and, and interviewing everybody. And that, that was really fun. But, and the interesting thing with movies this that writers we always have to remember once you hand this over to somebody else it is their creative brain baby and it's yep. going to often look very different than what your book was and okay. that's okay because then maybe people watch the movie and go now i have to go read the book and sometimes yeah. people even discover a new writer that way that's how i i got into the reacher books i saw the movies and went oh I didn't know there were books about this guy and went out and, and got into that. So movies are just a fun vehicle on so many levels. That's awesome. Wait, tell us again. It's Saturday, this coming Saturday? Coming Saturday, uh-huh, on the Great American Family Channel. I do believe, well, the airtime, well, where I am, I'm not sure where it is where you all are, but here on um, the West Coast, it's on at five. So on anyway, the East Coast, it would be eight. Okay. All right. Candy Cane Lane, Saturday, December 3rd. Check it out. I just um, saw your pictures you posted, and I was like, how cool is that? You were on set. You were with the stars. Oh, so cool. How lucky. They were lovely. They were lovely people. Everyone was so nice, and it was just a delight to be able to do that. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do with the movie. I, I know there are a couple of things they've done very differently than this was based on one of my Icicle Falls series books. And they okay. made some very interesting changes. So I thought, you know what, though? Again, they're creative brain baby. So it's going to be really fun to see what they do with it. That's awesome. So well, you've been at this for 20 years. So when you started writing Christmas books, was there one that you read that you loved that made you say, I want to do this. I can do this. I can write a Christmas book. Oh, you mean my first book that I wrote when I was 12? That one? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? They're really, I just had gotten an idea. You know how that happens with us as authors? This little idea pops into your head and you think, oh, what if? 
And actually, I should backtrack and say my husband rather inspired that. We are the equivalent of Bob and Joy in that book, and his nickname was Bob Humbug. We were leaving my family's big, exciting, noisy, wild, out-of-control Thanksgiving dinner. I'm the shrinking violet of the family, so you can imagine what the whole gang together is like. And so my poor husband, who's not quite as wah as I am, was kind of like, oh, thank God we survived this. And, and I'm like, you have a really bad attitude. And he goes, yeah, no, now we got to do it again at Christmas and same jokes and somebody will stick their finger in the whipped cream on somebody's pumpkin pie and ah and I'm going my family is fabulous and Christmas is fabulous and you have a I'm going to put you in a book and that was kind of how it started I thought I'm going to you're going to pay for this dude I'm going to make you the- <laughs> oh, that's you awesome and of course it completely backfired you know because then it turned into a movie and, and so he thought that was pretty hilarious so it's kind of funny how things have a way of turning out Oh, I love that first book idea for Christmas. That is, Mary Kay's the same. She's like, I think I had another Christmas book idea. And I'm over here going, what, you know, so to, to, to hear it just bubbled up from that is awesome. What was the title of that first one, Sheila? That was called On Strike for Christmas. Okay. Okay, great. That's awesome. All right. But, so yeah. I, you know, I'm wondering which of the three travelers in this most recent book, is there one that you identify with? Oh, my goodness. That's an interesting question. Uh, Well, a part of like, I I feel it felt a little like I was on a mission to encourage people to just embrace forgiveness this season. And because in in the past, like I said, there have been some times when I wasn't so forgiving. And I regret those times. And I thought if I can encourage anybody to let go of the past and move forward in the future this Christmas, I would feel like that was a job well done. The other thing I identified with my older couple, the the grandfather, Warren, he has some heart issues and it needs to get a heart ablation and he's just stalling and not wanting to do it. And I thought, well, I can draw from that on personal experience because I actually did have a heart ablation procedure a few years ago. I would get Mm -hmm. keep getting this AFib thing and I blame it on too much chocolate. I don't know if there's such a thing as too much chocolate, but I keep thinking there's not chocolate, right? Caffeine. I did that. And finally, one of my brothers said, no, this one's in the family. Both of your brother, the other brother and I have this. And I said, well, I don't want to do anything. So, so let's go down to the next great adventure. We're having a, I'm just sitting in my daughter's living room, having some pizza. And all of a sudden my heart starts going. I thought, oh dear. So I get home and I call the doctor's office. I said, I could, I get a little prescription for something and she's like well why do you want that i said well i just had this kind of afib thing but it's all gone now and she said chances are it is not all gone and this is the big insult with women your age i'm going what oh i hate that phrase we recommend the emergency room so off we go i was just getting ready in the next week to do a stem cell therapy procedure on my tennis trashed knee and i was all excited to get up and running at my knee off like a 30 year old again and (laughs) We're in the hot, the emergency room, and the doctor puts me on blood thinners. Blood thinners and getting the stem cell therapy do not go well together. And so I am just sitting there in tears. Of, you know, the doctor said, "Well, you know, you want it. You don't want to have a stroke. You know, you want to protect your brain." No, I'm we don't. So- my knee and my husband's going your brain you know get this in perspective so uh we did do that and fixed it and i've not had a problem since so sometimes those procedures we fear the most we just uh, don't want to do it we just need to go ahead and do the patch job and do it and then you're happy in the end that you went forward with it so i did get my heart fixed and i got my knee fixed too and now i'm a terror on the courts again 
Well, well I you and Mary Kay both had your knees. I'm not a pair on the courts, but I did just get a, a knee replacement a couple of months ago. Okay, Sheila, um, before we leave, what can your readers and our viewers expect next from you? Golly. Well, a spring book, a part of. Wait, I love that you just said golly. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, Sheila. That's awesome. Uh, uh, anyway, let's say spring. Yeah, spring. Uh, another installment in my little Moonlight Harbor series. We're uh, we're off to the beach on the Washington coast. Love the beach, and so it's always fun to be writing beach books. And then next year, fall law, it will be time for another Christmas book. So uh, Santa and I are busy working on that right now. So there you go. Oh, Sheila. <laughs> yeah, gosh, you're just like a bright Christmas light. Right. You're just, yep. it's so much fun talking to you. I'm so glad that you joined us. And everybody out there, if you want to get on your road to Christmas, because tomorrow's December 1st, the road to Christmas. And Sheila, thank you so much for joining us. This was so much thank fun. Thank you. Thanks. For, you guys are lovely. And I had such a wonderful time. I can't thank you enough for having me and hope you all have a wonderful holiday. Thanks. You too. Merry Christmas, you, Sheila. And you don't too. forget all of you, all of you parents out there of young kids, tomorrow is December 1st. And you know, you got to bring out the elf. Get that the- elf. God, the I'm so glad I don't have to do that out. anymore. <laughs> I would wake up at three in the morning. Did you ever do the elf, Sheila, with your kids or grandkids or anything? The, the, I know. the elf on the shelf. The elf. Is it too late? I can still do an elf, right? I need to go get an yeah, elf. You on the elf. With your husband. You can, you there you go. <laughs> I would wake up at three in the morning and be like, oh my God, I forgot to do something with the elf. Oh, cute. Yep. Yeah. I'd be like, well, he just liked that spot. It's his favorite spot, so he didn't move. He slept last night. Yeah, he didn't move. He left like he was supposed to. He went back to the North Pole, and he came back, and he just picked the same spot. Yeah, Right. Meg, genius. (laughs) Genius. Okay, everyone, that's it for us, and we will see you back here next Wednesday night at 7 p.m. as usual as we welcome Louise Penny and Ray Meadows. Until then, I hope you all have a great week, and happy reading, and good night, y'all. Good night. Good night. Thank you for tuning in. You can join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Also, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.